He probably needs more hair gel, uh, not a different haircut. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho, welcome to episode 24 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that a semi-pro cyclist, and I have to say this again, only wears their sunglasses on the outside of their helmet straps. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking hairstyles. And a reminder that if you do like the show, please take some time out and give us a review on iTunes. It means the world to me. Thank you very much. Straight into the news. First up, I want to say I am really, really sorry about missing last week's episode. I was struck down by two nasty illnesses at the same time, and it really, really affected me. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. And you can probably still hear one of them in my voice. I'm still trying to shake it off, but that's just an explanation of what happened and enough about me. When I first heard that the, the team would be called uh, Blanco Pro Cycling, uh, I thought it was a, a good, clean, fresh, clean, food, fresh, clean slate to start from. Blanco. What do you think of the name? It's a little bit of a cop-out to me. I don't know. It seems a little too simplistic. I do like their kit. I like the simple colours and design of their kit. I'm not sure about the actual logo itself, but it may grow on me. We'll have to see. We are getting close to the reveal of all of the 2013 kits, which is pretty exciting. I'm most excited to see what Rafa is going to do with Sky because I believe... Rafa are the ones that will dictate where a lot of clothes for cycling are going to move and we're going to see a lot of copies coming from it. I have some other things I want to talk about here, namely things to do with me, but they do affect you as far as I'm looking for an accountability partner, someone that's going to keep me honest through my training. My bike is in the mail. I'm getting all warmed up to start my training in January. Here's what I can offer you if you are my accountability partner. We can have weekly chats going over training, any issues that we had with training. We can keep each other in check every single day if we don't go and do training. We can figure out some type of punishment system. We can also figure out how to make adjustments to our training. Basically, I'm looking for someone that I can keep motivated and then in turn can motivate me. So if that's you, get in touch with me. I would love to hear about your training plans and what you're actually training for. If there's a group of people, perhaps we can have a bit of a group that keeps each other in check. I know if you aren't surrounding yourself with people that are doing what you're doing, then it's very hard some days to get up and actually get training. And so my idea for myself is I don't have anyone here that I'll be training with. And if someone can contact me and then we can discuss training together, it's going to make life a whole lot more fun. Also, I'm going to be in Italy over Christmas, New Year's. If there are any listeners out there that want to meet up, I would love to meet up. I won't have a bike with me. It would probably be hell riding through the snow of Italy in the middle of winter. So I'm not into that, but I'm into meeting up and having a chat about bikes and whatever. I'm interested in just getting out there and and hanging out with people that are interested in what I'm into. This week's Nuts and Bolts, and first I want to say that I sat down to write this week's episode, and something really occurred to me that I want to share with you, and I want you to know that I don't consider myself to be a cycling expert. 
You know, I, I have an over-the-top obsession with being thorough and riding bikes and being fit. I also love a beer, but that's another story. But anyway, I want to say that I'm glad you're coming along for the ride with me as we discover more about the sport that we do love. I want to produce the best cycling content available so you can make more informed decisions about your own cycling. And I also want to make a deal with you. If at any time you think I'm not doing this, please let me know. Voice your opinion because I'm making this podcast for you and it affects me deeply if you're not getting the most out of our sport and yourself. That's all I want to say in regards to that, but I really do mean it and I want you to get a lot out of this podcast and I'm putting a lot of myself into this so that that happens. And as far as where we're going this week, we're going to talk about the five training principles to live by. I started off going into this episode and I was going to work on cornerstone workouts, but then I thought it's such a range of different people that are probably listening that it's a bit hard to narrow down these things. So it occurred to me that this is not going to be useful for anybody and training is such an individual pursuit that giving you some workouts with knowing what you're training for or your abilities or anything like that is not going to help you be a better cyclist. So I decided to take one step back and go through five training principles to shape your thinking about training. I think principles are one of the best broad ways to put your thoughts in as far as a framework when approaching anything. And these, if you can instill these into your thinking, then what they'll produce is actually better results for you in your training. I really believe that because I've used them to success in the past and I will, I know I will use them to success in the future. But number one is testing, test, test, test. You have heard me say it 10 times, I was going to say 100, but you've heard me say it about 10 times here on the podcast already. What gets measured gets managed and testing is the most fundamental thing so you can be motivated if you're getting better. You can measure your progress in quantifiable terms. And that means not only week to week, month to month, but year to year. In the same events, you can see what's going on, especially with the ease that it is to record things these days. So what I've got here is after I did the last episode, which was based on the yearly or the annual training program, tracking changes in your fitness is the major reason for testing. Also, at the start of the season, it's to set training levels and to tweak these when you're moving through the season itself. So the start of the season, I'm more going on this slant of power now. And if you come across any power literature, you'll move into people like Joe Friel, Hunter Allen, Andrew Coggan. These guys have been at it for a while. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily the top of their game or the best, but they make the information the most approachable for people that are wanting to just dip their toe in the water, so to speak, in regards to looking at how deep training with power actually runs. The actual five principles that I'm working off are from Andrew Coggan and Hunter Allen's book, which is Training and Racing with a Power Meter. The book itself, I'm not sure if I 100% recommend it. It covers a lot of ground that you can get for free elsewhere that dates very quickly, you know, the information about specific um, power meters that are on the market, etc. And it uses their training program, Training Peaks or 
uh, WKO Plus, it uses their training program to explain their concepts, which, so this moves this book into a bit of a marketing tactic to get you to use their program. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that because the program is, I believe, the premium program on the market in regards to power analysis. It's just that if you really want to delve into the power that power meters can offer you in your training, you don't necessarily have to go the direction they're going. The information in this book that was useful to me was probably 30 to 40%. And definitely these five principles that pop up, I could associate with them because they were familiar to me, but they had a really good way of articulating it and, and then associating that back to power. When it comes to what they base all of their training off, it's called functional threshold power. And I won't go into it, but let's just say that you can specifically test for, it will say FTP, you can specifically test for FTP because it's the average of the highest watts possible for a substantial period of time. And so that's the first test at the start of the season that's going to begin to create a power profile so you you can really hone in on your strengths and weaknesses and also a fatigue profile to hone in on where you can work those strengths and weaknesses specifically with the training that you put forward in your program. It covers ways to test yourself, including your anaerobic capacity, neuromuscular power, and your VO2 max. I've got a list of the actual tests that they have, but If you're not interested in power, maybe you're just doing a steady state test, which moves on to the testing that you would want to do regularly. So you're wanting to do testing regularly throughout the season. And if you're moving in three-week blocks, then it's every six weeks, I recommend. Or if you're moving in four-week blocks every fourth week, at the end of a rest week, that's when you're going to want to test. You want to be as fresh as possible, and you want it as consistent as possible. So for me, I, I would always test on a trainer. I'd always jump on an ergo because I know that I can regulate the wind and my warm-up and the traffic conditions and, and anything else that would get in the way on a normal bit of road. The tests that I'll probably run with are a 5K time trial and an 8K time trial. I'll be recording the time and the gear and looking at the difference over time to see whether my training is actually effective or not. Moving into number two is knowing when enough is enough. Now that can mean a lot of things, but what I'm specifically referring to here is optimal interval. When to stop interval training for the day based on your last interval. This idea is more about, and this is a quote from Joe Friel, doing the least amount of the most specific training that brings continual training. It's a little convoluted, but basically all he's saying is you just want to do the minimum amount of the most specific training for the event that you're actually working towards. So there's no point, like I've said before, there's no point in intervals of getting out there and not doing the work. So if you do everything right on a ride, but you don't stick in your training zone for the amount of time that you've allocated then what's the point in even going for the ride? Okay, you're going to get some other benefits if you're in an endurance zone when you're riding or you're going up hills in a harder gear, you're going to get some strength benefits. But as far as working your system and working your FTP, you really need to sit in specific zones in order to train that system. And so if you get into an interval training session and you fall off for whatever reason on the fourth or the fifth interval, this is a good framework that they've put together so you know, okay, it's not working, I'm not where I should be, I'm just going to go home, there's no point going to it. 
My original notion of this concept is knowing when you're having a bad day and knowing when to stop any efforts. For me, many things can contribute to this, but having guidelines about when to stop, it's just as handy to know when to smash out a few more if you're really feeling it on the day. You know, I'm a bit of a sensitive beast when it comes to having everything right, you know, the right frame of mind and everything to get the best from myself. So knocking out a couple of quick wins really easily to help my fitness along on a good day is going to help me when I have those bad days because it is up and down in regards to other factors just coming in and affecting my training. Feeling secure in knowing that I have nothing left on the bike for any given day will keep my spirits higher. I normally get pretty bummed out when I can't complete a workout. I realize the commitment, the time commitment that it takes to get set up. It's not like, okay, I've got an hour. I'll just do this and this. Usually, you know, you've got to set up the whole day beforehand and then afterwards you've got to have meals ready or whatever. So there's a large commitment into any one training day. And so Having a system that gives me a bit of peace of mind in regards to, okay, there's nothing more I can do for this day, you know, I'm just going to move on. That's really going to help me when it comes to the next day and picking it up and knowing that my body gave it all yesterday, I'm going to try fresh again today and see how it goes. The guidelines, I've got them down, I won't go too far into them, but the guidelines themselves, 20 minute intervals, if you're looking at a 3 or 5% power drop, that's when you stop. The idea behind these, so it drops down from 10 minutes, 5 minutes, and it has 4 to 6 percentage or 5 to 7 percentage drop. What you're working off is your third interval. If you're doing really long ones like 20 minutes, you're not going to be doing like five of those. So it, it sort of moots that point a little bit. But they're measured as compared to the third interval in the session where the first two are just setting up your body, you're setting up your tempo, and therefore they can be a bit up and down. And, and so you want to just wipe those out and just go from your third where you should just have your mind right and your body right and everything is cool. So if on the fourth one, say you're doing a three-minute interval and it drops, the power drops eight or nine percent, then you're out of there. As simple as that. I think what I'll do is I'll probably work out so I don't have to do it in my brain when I'm actually training. I'll probably work out based on what I set up as my power levels, what the 8 and 9% drop looks like and have that number. And if that's what my average FTP is for that workout, then I'm out of there. Number three, don't stack workouts. Now this term, stacking workouts, it's about not cramming your training for a race by shoving any missed workouts from your week into your weekend. Well, that's just an example, but you're not wanting to put any interval efforts that you missed during the week into your long ride on the weekend or, you know, combining two or three training elements into one ride. If you miss a day, then it's generally better to move on. There is no real use in putting it together the next day or the day after. One caveat though is that if there is a very specific workout that you won't be doing for another two weeks, then you need to find time to do it as soon as possible. So because of the very specific nature of certain workouts, if you miss it, then you're not training that system. And if you haven't trained that system for a couple of weeks, you know, then you're going to start to go backwards. Otherwise, just miss it, move on. It's the same thing with consistency. Your body can't handle this buildup. As soon as then you just drop in this extra element, and if it is intervals to a long ride, it's going to smash you and you're probably not going to recover the next day. So then you're compromising your whole next week because it's this slow stepping down. You know, it all feeds off each other. And so just wiping that out of the way and knowing that it's going to happen is probably the best way just to move on mentally and not 
worry about it too much because like I said, it's the specific workouts, the ones where you're training a specific system. And if you're going to not do that in the next couple of weeks, that's when it's important. And number four relates to this as well. You get sick, your partner gets sick, your best friend is getting married. You know, like any distractor that you have, number four is maintaining flexibility in your training program. These things and more get in the way of training. They are a part of life. They should be accounted for in your framework. They will happen. And without strictly planning for them, just knowing what to do when they pop up will mean getting the most from the situation. As far as anything that is big that you know is coming up, it's quite easy to plan around. Say you do miss a day, then you can sacrifice certain workouts but it's the unplanned events that are a little different and you're best to refer to principle number three in these cases and try not to stack your workouts. Much like the workouts in your week swapping, Tuesday for Wednesday is okay. This shuffle can help you with recovery before the weekend so you are fresh and you can get the most out of your long rides on the weekends and it's just a matter of playing around with them. So moving them around and shuffling them, no problem as long as you still maintain freshness for big rides on the weekend, if that's the way that your training program is structured. And number five, the final one, it's better to ride alone. Now, I know that riding with someone makes a bike ride go very quickly, and it's a lot more fun, but I'm not sure that the benefits of riding with people outweigh the negatives. In regards to weekly rides, you know, if you're a busy person, you probably won't be able to line up a ride with anyone anyway, unless you're doing, say, the bunch in the morning or racing at night. Group rides themselves are not going to give you the specific requirements to meet most prescribed workouts. It's as simple as that. You know, this is mainly due to not being in control of the majority of the elements within the ride itself, such as the pace and the length, etc., etc. You know, you could have just a couple of buddies, but even then, your training could be compromised. You know, you have conflicting agendas. And another big element which is kind of overlooked in this, especially for blokes, is the emotional control of the situation. I don't know about you, but if I go out for a recovery ride and someone attacks or there's a pseudo sprint, I'm in it every single time. Well, sometimes even on my own, if a commuter passes me, yes, I'm into the commuter cup, but that's a whole other story. But it's even more dangerous when you're traveling with some buddies and they hit it up the hill and you can't let them go. So that whole emotional thing takes over. And I just try and avoid that altogether because I know I get myself into trouble because I get wound up pretty easily and I've got a competitive spirit underneath this chilled, relaxed calm dude. But as far as riding with big bunches, then you've got no hope in controlling the pace, maybe where it goes, maybe where you drop off. But are you really going to drop off a bunch after, you know, 20 Ks or whatever? I don't even see the point in meeting them in the first place. Just something to think about. I'm not sure how many people actually train full time with other people or in a bunch. Maybe if you're in a squad, that's training towards the same goal together, it may be easier. But even then, everybody has different levels. So you've got to have a really switched on or really in tune with a training partner that can push you. It means that you're a bit more of a loner, which really does suck. And that's where I'm trying to address this podcast. Hopefully, I'm filling your ears in the middle of a training ride right now. But leave bunch rides for absolute recovery. Don't go to the front and smash yourself. 
or find that one or two rides, you know, the hour of power on the Tuesday and check your stats to see if it is actually doing anything. Otherwise, you're left to train on your own to get the most benefit out of the time that you have on the bike. So there you have it, five principles to live by. I would be interested in hearing if anyone has any other ones they can add to the list. The hardest thing I find is when I'm looking into training ideas and then how to get those across and how to discuss those in a forum where there's a lot of people with a lot of different agendas. I think principles really address this issue. And if we could build out more and more principles, I think it would help all of us. I'd be really interested to hear what other people have to say in regards to certain situations that crop up, like the one of missing training or riding in groups or whatever it may be. As far as things like riding in groups, you know, like when I was younger, I had a great training partner. I had someone that really, really pushed me hard and it meant that my cycling was probably two or three times better than it should have been if I was training on my own. So how do we fill that gap? You know, this comes back to the accountability partner that I'm willing to be and I really want to see if anyone else is out there to kind of um, work together in this to try and motivate us when we're not on the rides. Perhaps one day there'll be the technology where we can go out on a ride and we can still work with each other in some way. I think that'd be pretty cool. But the idea of pushing each other to do our own individual pursuits is is pretty interesting. Like everyone has some sort of drive and they're riding a bike for some reason, but there are those days or those times when it is really handy to have someone else to to bounce ideas off and and to talk through um, any issues that you're having. So that's just to, to wrap up the five principles bit and definitely get in contact if you have any other principles that you think can add to the list. Now let's get to the tech hacks and products section and Today, it's another Strava tool, not made by Strava. I've got the website, hobart10,000.com slash segment-gradient.php. I've got the link in the show notes. And you can actually pick out any single segment in Strava and create a 3D profile with color gradients. That is pretty cool. It shoots out a picture of the actual hill that you're looking at with the gradients color-coded so you know where the tough bits are. I think this is a super idea. As is the other day, I was playing with a flyover of the Alps on Google Earth. That is madness. That is so cool checking out a ride that you're going to do. I'm sure more and more that this technology is going to evolve, so essentially it feels like we're being there. So you're prepped before you even get there about what the terrain's going to look like. Of course, no one's riding it for you, so that's that's the tough part that we all like to ignore. But in regards to technology like this that can just map out uh, you, you know, your favorite hill so you get a good idea of where the tough bits are, I think it's pretty exciting. It's even more exciting for the applications when it comes to racing and looking at terrain before you've even raced on it so you know how to attack it. You, you must be getting an idea now that I'm a bit of a technology buff and all this stuff just keeps blowing my mind. We are living in some of the coolest times ever. But enough about that. Let's get to the quote from the top of the show and it's Marky Mark Renshaw talking about Michael Matthews's hair. Now, Matthews has just changed teams. He's on Green Edge. It's one more person that will stop Renshaw from winning. I was thinking about Renshaw's results in 2012 compared to his ambitions, and I think he is disappointed. He must be motivated to have a big year next year because it really didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to turn out. Uh, You know, I'm not sure of all of his results. Maybe like there was a win in Turkey and 
maybe some seconds and some thirds, but overall it was a little disappointing, I would say. Was it just a learning year for him? The way the media beat it up at the start of last year, it was essentially like he was going to come out and challenge Cavendish for every single win. As we know, other riders pop up. Sagan starts dominating. Greipel's always there. You know, these people are really, really going to challenge Renshaw this year again. And, you know, I've, I've got his back. I don't mind him. He gives really boring interviews. But other than that, I really don't mind Renshaw. So I'll be following him. It'll be interesting to see what happens. He's got Bobridge on his team this year. I don't know what Bobridge's role is going to be, whether he's going to be a lead out for Renshaw at all. So... You know, another one to follow, but we will all be following Michael Matthews on Green Edge because how can you not root for the dude? He's absolute champion when it comes to putting himself in the right spot. I've seen him smash crits in Canberra for years. Being a lad from my hometown kind of really resonates with me. We are starting to ramp up again now and get into the season. We've just got the silly season to get past first and then it's down to some serious business. But for me this week, that is it. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. And a sprinkling of semi-pro riders competing.